0: Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. We're in 1 John again, chapter 4. We've got a, a heavy passage before us this morning, one that we're going to work very hard to make sense of and to grasp and understand, so you pray with me as we work through this that the Lord will apply the truth to our life. How do you imagine John the Evangelist, John the Evangelist to be? Remember the people of Scripture? Are real people like you and I? I tend to fail at humanizing them sometimes. And probably think of them in this mystical way. But John talks so much about love. And he saw himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. So when I think about John, maybe you think about him in similar ways like I do. I just maybe think, this is just one of those guys that's kind of squishy like a teddy bear. Right? I mean, he's so full of love. Or maybe you just see him as being a compassionate guy, loving, tender. What if I told you that John wasn't that? Luke, in his gospel account, presents a travelogue of Jesus' journey to the cross. Begins in chapter 9 of Luke. And in verse 51 of that chapter, mentions that Jesus had directed his eyes to Jerusalem. It's a a statement that tells us that Jesus is looking to what's coming. And so everything that's coming from here on out is Jesus' journey to the cross, to the reality of the cross. And on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples went through Samaria. And Luke notes that the Samaritans didn't receive Jesus. And the indication is because Jesus did not receive their false worship. Now, without getting into much of the explanation of the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, we do need to note that the Jews rejected the Samaritans. The Samaritan people were people that had come from mixed marriages between Jews and pagans. With a lot of that happening, if you remember the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, a lot of that happening after the Jews returned from exile in Babylon, they began intermarrying and we get a lot of the picture of the Samaritans of the New Testament from those moments. The Samaritans, though, don't receive Jesus. And in that moment, John, loving, squishy, sweet John, and his brother James have a question for Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elias did? The guy that's a loving guy wants to torch people. Earlier in chapter 9, he's mad about those that are casting out devils. In chapter 9 of Luke, he's mad about those that are casting out devils, but they're not following Jesus. John's mad about it. Jesus has to rebuke John. I think if I can maybe, maybe... recommend something this morning, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But if John was here today, he might be able to say something like this. If you think that I'm a loving guy, and that's why I talk about love, you don't know what I was like before Jesus and his death and resurrection. And I think John, as we look at his life on the great landscape of Scripture, we can find some good news in this for all of us that don't find our comfort zone in the realm of giving and receiving love. Because John was not that guy, it appears as well. The John that we witness in 1 John is the John that has been totally transformed by the overwhelming love of Jesus in his life. The cross, his resurrection. The Holy Spirit has transformed John from wanting to torch people with fire to commanding Christians to love because Jesus loved us and has enabled our love for one another. As I told you last week, there is no longer an excuse for any Christian to not love one another. There is no excuse. But I do have to let you know as well today that the emphasis of love and love for one another isn't going anywhere in 1 John. John's going to continue to emphasize to us that the primary response of every believer towards other believers is the response of love. I want to give you three brief statements today. The message isn't brief, but the statements are brief. With the passage that is before us. Because in this passage, John tells us three, three realities about Christian love. Three realities about Christian love that help us have what the theme of the book is. Joyful assurance of God's gracious work in our life. Three realities of Christian love. And so I want you to see them with me this morning And in this, we're going to see some familiar verses. All right? First, the first statement is this. Love proves. Love proves. The statement finds its roots in verse 15, which we'll see in just a moment. But the four verses that I'm going to read here in a minute are loaded. And so I I want to work hard with you to unpack them. But before I read them, we, we need to make special note right away that these verses in front of us are deeply what we would call deeply Trinitarian. I use that phrase often, so let me just say that they emphasize the Trinity. They're Trinitarian. They talk about Father, Son, and Spirit. In verse 13, as you'll see, the Spirit is highlighted. In verses 14 and 15, the Son is put forward. In verses 14 and 16, the Father is referenced. And I want to make note of that before we read it, because I want you to see it, alright? Look with me at verse 13 of 1 John 4. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and He in uh, He and God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. God is love, and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. Now there's a lot of movement there; it can be confusing if we allow it to be. I believe that there are three areas of focus here in this passage. First off, there's the focus on the mutual indwelling or the mutual dwelling, the believer in God and God in the believer. Then there's the focus of spirit-enabled love. And then we're going to get to spirit-enabled belief. In these four verses alone, I literally almost stopped the message after point one for you this morning because I thought, "This this is enough right here. This is a lot right here. At the beginning of verse 13, John uses a thematic phrase for the book. Hereby know we. Hereby know we. Everything here is about assuring the believer of something that is a fact. It is an assurance. As our statement, as our message, joyful assurance, here is how we know. We've seen that many times throughout 1 John. We know. We know. We know. John's the first John's first assuring statement is that we know that 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 we have this mutual indwelling of God in us and us in God because we have the spirit that we have the spirit now this is connected a connected thought to what we saw last week the unseen god if you remember the unseen god no man has seen him at any time the unseen god dwells in us and enables love for one another right look at verse 12 of last from last week no man has seen god at any time if we love one another if we love one another God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. But today we see this reference to the Spirit, the second reference to the Holy Spirit in the chapter. We'll come to that in a moment. How do we know that the Spirit is in us and we are in God? Is it just because we believe it is? The evidence, John says, is the love that we have for one another. To be clear, let me be clear here, we don't get the Spirit, we don't get God by loving each other. That's not what John is saying. You don't earn God by love. We show that we have God's Spirit when we love one another. In verse 14, John gives us somewhat of an interlude, but it's necessary for the reader then and now. Verse 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Why do I call this an interlude? Because John is speaking of himself here. When John says, we have seen, he's not talking about us. He's talking about himself and the apostles. They believe, he's giving the reader here, the objective facts of the story. We saw, we actually saw, he says, and now we testify to this fact that the Father... Sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This should remind us of the importance of verse 2 of chapter 1. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. John has said in, verse chapter, in chapter 1, right off the beginning, he said we saw and witnessed him and now he's reminding us in chapter 4 uh, in verse 14 that they saw and testify now that matters because of where he's going next the apostolic witness of christ as given in scripture listen friends is a foundation of what we know of jesus the apostolic witness is foundation of what we know of jesus Jesus was seen living, dying, resurrected. And the apostles testified to this fact even to the point of being martyred. And John's little interlude there, though, is leading to another of the evidences that God, by His Spirit, dwells in believers. So see the whole picture here. In verse 13, it's we know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He's given us the Spirit. John says, and we saw Him, we saw Jesus, But then in verse 15, he says, Whosoever therefore shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Now, this is where I told you it gets a little heavy. Mutual dwelling. And I want you to get that phrase. You in God and God in you. Mutual dwelling is evidenced by your confession of the real Jesus, the Son of God, this is the second time that John has stated this in, in in this chapter alone in chapter four and verse two, a couple weeks ago in the message, we saw, hereby know ye the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God is of God. So John says here in verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And so we see the connected theme there, that because God dwells in us by the Spirit, we confess the right message about Jesus. Now let me state something again for you. And all this might seem disjointed, and so I'll tie it together here in a minute. But the Holy Spirit, His chief ministry is to testify that Jesus is Who he in Scripture says he is. But John uses here the word confess. It's the third time in this book. Confess. Do you remember what confess means? If you've been paying attention in 1 John. Confess means to agree with God. To say the same thing that God says. So what is John saying here? is that we give evidence that we live in God and God in us when we confess or when we agree with God about Jesus. That's what John is saying. You give evidence that God dwells in you and you in God when you agree with God about who Jesus is. So let me give you a quote here. (laughs) God the Holy Spirit will cause us to agree with God the Father that Jesus is God the Son. That's what John is teaching us. God the Holy Spirit will agree with God the Father that Jesus is God the Son. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is enabling us to view God's love in the right way. This will conversely point us to the love of the Father. And John says we have known. He says we have known and believed Known and believed. This is experiencing something and someone. That's what known means. It means to experience and to believe a message. So look at verse 16. He says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. And God in him. There's mutual indwelling again. We have known and believed the love that God has toward us. But it's not just, John says, that God loves us. It's not just that God loves us, but that we know that God is love. God is love. Look at verse, reminds you of verse 7 from chapter 4. For love is of God. Verse 8, for God is love. And here it is. You might be totally lost. Trust me. I've been working through this for about six, seven days myself. Here it is, the mutual indwelling comes full circle. Okay, so here's what John is teaching. Dwelling in love, seeing it as your attitude and action in life, is evidence that you dwell in God and God dwells in you. That your very life is connected to God and God is connected and living in you. And again, we find the themes of believe and love once again. Believe the right message about the person of Jesus and love one another. That's a succinct picture of the Christian life from beginning to end. Believe the right message about Jesus as revealed in Scripture, taught by the Spirit in agreement with the Father, and love one another. And when we find the theme of the mission of Jesus and the witness of the Holy Spirit then, It makes our understanding of the Father's love possible. Now, everything you just heard and you go, I don't have a clue at anything John just said. Great, set it aside for a second. Because then he gives another witness. He gives another reality in this second statement here in this passage that I'm presenting, and that is love gives. Love gives. So love proves... What does it prove? That you are in God and God is in you. It proves that you believe the right message when you love and live out of love. Then we find that love gives. Love gives. Look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Now, love gives is not a command to you, To show your love by giving. But that this kind of love gives us something. John here speaks of our love. Herein is our love made perfect. Our love for whom or what? I actually believe that John speaks of two things. Our love for God, as well as our love for one another. By the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we saw in the the verses earlier this morning. The indwelling Holy Spirit our love is being made perfect. This perfect has the idea of mature or complete. Remember, as I said last week, and as I said earlier this morning, love has an intended end. God is giving us love to shape our love. And so John says our love is made perfect. It is being made to be mature and complete. John says allowing God's love for us To reach its intended end will enable you and I as believers to have boldness. Love gives what? Love gives boldness on Judgment Day. Perfect love gives boldness on on Judgment Day. Allowing God's love for you to mature your love for Him and others gives you boldness on Judgment Day. Now I, I think we need to recapture a healthy seriousness about judgment day right when I was a kid man I felt like the judgment of God was preached right and the reality of God's return was preached so so boldly man I was afraid that if Jesus returned am I ready John says here that our love is being made perfect and as we let the that we let God's love for us shape us and perfect our love for him and one another that we can have boldness on the day of judgment. This boldness and love that's being made perfect happens, John says, listen, by a very important statement at the end of that verse. Can we put that verse back up there? And here's what it is. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Now, John has already spoken about the day of judgment. And back in 1 John 2, he said, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, we may have confidence. The same Greek word for confidence is the same Greek word for boldness in chapter 4, translated boldness. John desires that in, on judgment day, you and I are both confident and bold. But John tells us that all of that boldness and love comes from one specific truth. That is this. As Christ is, as Christ is, so are we in this world. This is the gospel right here in this passage. As Christ is right now, as Christ is, so are you in this world. What does he mean by that? He means that, yes, we are not fully like Christ in our character. We are not fully like Christ in our bodies, although we resemble Him often in our conduct. But here is the good news. As Christ is before the Father, as Christ is positionally, as Jesus is in this very moment, so are we as we live in this world. So listen. How does perfect love how does our love made perfect? John tells us it's made perfect as we realize that Christ, as Christ is, so are we right now. Can you, can you grasp, grasp that for a moment? Here, let me give you let me give it to you in three explanations. Right now, you are God's child in and through the Son Jesus Christ. That's who you are. We are sons and daughters through Christ. As Ephesians 1 says, you and I are accepted in the Beloved. We have received of God's favor just like Jesus has. Therefore, if Jesus calls God Father, we can do the same. We can do the same as Christ is. So are we as we live in this world. We share the same confidence. Can you believe it? We share the same confidence and boldness before God. Which Jesus enjoys. Every time I say that, I feel like Christians don't believe me. (laughs) You have the same confidence and boldness available to you. Listen, friends, we talk about the day of judgment. Can I tell you for Christians, we don't need to stand in fear of God the judge because for us, He is God our Abba Father. God the judge has now become God our Father. And so we can stand in confidence. We can let His love, our Father's love, perfect our love. And we can live confident, bold, as we look towards the day of judgment. This teaches us. This this fear that we see. This fear in our life isn't necessary. We We need not fear as Christians. We need not be afraid of God as Christians. We can respond to him in love. Let me take you to verse 18, a familiar verse. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You see how verse 18 and 17 tie together. God is trying to to perfect our love. As God perfects our love, He is pushing fear out of our life about the day of judgment to come. Fear before God. He is pushing it out because it doesn't have a place with love. And when we let His love perfect us, we will begin to see fear in our life. I'm not talking about fear generally. I'm talking about the fear that we have towards God. It begins to... Disappear. There is no mixing of love and fear. It's like oil and water. We can, listen friends, we can approach God in love and reverence at the same time. We can approach God out of love and reverence at the same time, but hear me, we cannot approach God in love and then hide from Him in fear. You can't do it. You can't do it. And often in my life, I have found myself, and maybe you're the same, that when I am not approaching, when I, when I, when I think there's no way that God could receive me the same way right now, He's receiving Jesus. The reason I don't believe that is because of fear. Fear over something I've done, fear over something I expect God to do to me, fear over judgment that I think is coming, fear over failure, fear over sin, fear over feeling like I'm, I've, I've, I've let God down. And that fear keeps me from embracing the love and then keeping me from having my love perfected and living the fulfilled life that God has for me in this world. And so hear me, friends. We want to let God's love change us so that fear goes away so we can actually accept God's love so we can love Him back and love each other. That's how the gospel works here. As the love of God perfects our love for God and others, fear is cast out. And hear me, let me just be candid with you. There is no room for fear in our life because God's love is changing us to love Him and His people. The the first response is to accept that God actually loves you without you qualifying that with any statement. You got to accept that. And you got to let that love change your heart of love to Him. And when it changes your heart of love to Him, as we've seen in John's John's letter here, it will give you a love for one another that's supernatural. And now what's happening? Perfect love is perfecting your love. And fear is going away. Number three. Would it be okay if I took a drink of coffee? I'm, I'm hurting up here. All right, here we go. Number three, love reflects. So first, it proves. What does it prove? The Spirit's in us. It proves that we believe the right message. Secondly, what does it do? It gives us boldness. Why? Because God's perfect love is casting out our fear. We're ready for the day of judgment. We're bold in that, about that moment. Number three, love reflects. Fear is not the great characteristic of God's people. Love is. When I say fear, I don't mean reverence or respect. I mean afraidness. <laughs> fear is not the great characteristic of God's people. Love is. But our love is a direct response to God's love. In fact, it was all of God's love first. First John four nineteen, We love Him because He first loved us. We simply have responded to that love. Verse 10 of, as we saw last week of chapter 4, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's loving, hear me, and we talked about this in the parable series, God's loving initiative, God's giving of love to you, knowing in his omniscience that we would not always give it back, he still gave it. Knowing that you would live in rebellion and I would live in rebellion he still gave it. It's not that we loved him, we loved ourselves. He loved us. And God's love is causing us to cast out fear, but John says it also casts out one other emotion. Look at verse 20. If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For that love, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? How? But here we find this fear is to go away and hatred is to go away. A long time ago, someone told me to never attack a person. To never attack a person, but instead ask the person a question. So for instance, don't say to somebody when you know they're lying, don't look at them and say, you're a liar. Instead, you ask the question, are you lying? Right? John doesn't take that advice. (laughs) He looks at you and says, you say you love God and you hate your brother. You're a liar. You're a liar. God's loving you. God's love in you won't accept that. Won't accept it. If I choose, and by the way, I argued before that hatred is as much of a choice as love. If I choose to hate someone, it's probably because I see them as unworthy of my love. Friends, this is the epitome of pride. And to hate means that instead of wishing them good, as love would do, I wish them harm. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. The whole chapter concludes, and not, don't think that the theme concludes, but the chapter concludes with verse 21. And this commandment have we from Him, that He who loveth God loveth His brother also. It's in this that Jesus, John tells us how Jesus had joined two commands. For time, I won't get into all this, but the command of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which was love God, Right? The Shema, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then Leviticus 19.18, these two Old Testament laws, 19.18 of Leviticus said to love your neighbor. So Deuteronomy said love God. Leviticus told them love your neighbor. Jesus joined those. He joined them. And this command to love God and neighbor can be reflected in our life through Christ in us. What God has brought together in this command we have tried way too hard as Christians to separate. Well, I love God, but I don't love His people. That's trash. And for me to, I have no better way to say it. That's trash theology. You can't claim to love God and hate His people. Too many Christians have tried to argue for their love for God while they simultaneously lived with hatred or even a lack of love in their heart. And it's not possible. The one that loves God cannot help, cannot help but love his brother also. I love God because he first loved me. I also know that he first loved you. So I love you because he first loved me and because I love him, I know he loves you. Can I just say? You can't claim to love God's children. You can't claim to love the Father and hate His children. As I study for a message like this, I honestly, to be very candid with you, I find myself overwhelmed about the depth that John, with which John writes. And I find myself a little bit overwhelmed about how to make this practical for you. And I have to come to two conclusions. One, not every truth in Scripture has to be practical for you. Sometimes we just need to walk out of here feeling like we just got overloaded with biblical truth. But I do believe that there are some good practical takeaways for us. And and I ask you just to kind of hold on tight for a couple of these, okay? Number one, let me give you a, a quick takeaway from today, from this text. It is the Holy Spirit who enables our belief and love. We need to know that. You don't love and believe the message of Jesus because of your will to do so. You love and believe. You love and believe, you believe the right message about Jesus and you love one another, which is a summary of John's statement on Christian life, you do so because of the Spirit who enables that. He expresses this fruit in your life. He grows this fruit on the tree of Christianity. As we've heard in this text, how does the Holy Spirit work in us and affect our belief in love? And I've told you over and over again, I'll say it again, the Holy Spirit works primarily through the Word. He works through the Word. Faith to believe and faith to love comes from hearing the word, Romans chapter 10. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and reading and reading and reading and and studying and studying and studying. Maybe you think that's too simplistic and too repetitive for you. And you're correct. (laughs) You can rest assured in the Spirit's work in the means in which He will work. Secondly, fear and hatred don't belong here. Fear and hatred don't belong here. I'm not going to stand up here and I'm not going to spiritually, emotionally beat you up if you have fear in your heart this morning. Or even if you have hatred in your heart. I'm going to tell you this. That perfect love, that love that is being matured by the Spirit, it casts out fear. Casts out fear. And if you're living in fear today of God, your relationship, and you just can't reconcile that God would actually love you, can I just tell you and by the way maybe you live in the fear of loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I tell you that it is perfect love that casts that fear out. At the same time, hatred doesn't belong here. Hatred doesn't belong here. I can't make anybody stop hating, but perfect love can. Kick it to the curb. When you find someone when you find yourself tempted to hate someone, ask yourself What it would mean if God, think about it, what if God had chosen to hate you with a perfect hatred? But instead, by the way, it would have been a perfect hatred. You might think that that's not possible. But instead, God chose to love you with perfect love. It enables that in your life. Number three, and this is where it gets a little bit direct. I present to you this morning that our view of love is too low. Our view of love is too low. It's cheap. Our view of love, hear me, is high when we see Jesus on the cross for our sins. It's high. We're so grateful. Our view of love is too low when it comes to loving one another. It's too low. I have to ask myself why that is. Why is that? Truth is, we can't look at the cross and love this low. What would, it, what would be the cause of my love being like this? What would be the cause of my love being cheap and, and unexpressed and unlived out? And this may seem a little bit radical, and you might be tempted to quickly dismiss what I'm about to say, but let's at least be intellectually fair here. I don't, if I don't love God and others the way I should, it's because of some idol that stands in the way of that love. So if I don't love God and I don't love others the way I should, and I'm unwilling to express that love inside the body of Christ, then it might just be that the idol that keeps that from being possible is I love myself the way I shouldn't. If I don't love you the way I ought, and I don't love God the way that I ought, then it might be that I love myself in a way that I shouldn't. What do I mean by that? Well, what do you do to an idol? You bow before it. I bow before my bank account. I love myself so much that I bow before my bank account. I bow before my job. I bow before my schedule. If I'm a parent, I bow before my kids' schooling. I bow before favorite politicians. Good grief. I bow before my spouse, my kids. I bow before my expectation of others. I bow before sports teams. I, I become the worshiper. Here's what it is in idolatry. I become the worshiper and the idol at the same time. You say, but those things are not all bad. You're right. We know that. We make good things God things. And if... We find ourselves unsettled by this. It might be that something I mentioned is the idol. might just be the idol. So what is the remedy? If my view of love is too low, I don't have any magic potion for you this morning. The remedy for the spiritual idolatry of myself that keeps me from loving God and loving you the way that God wants me to The answer is this. We need to take 10,000 looks at Jesus. (laughs) I know the number's arbitrary. Just keep, 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 keep looking at Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate idol slayer. Because you cannot look at Jesus. You cannot look at Jesus and rightly turn away your love from a brother can't we sit through a message like this and we feel absolutely overwhelmed by the responsibility that we have as christians to god and to each other and i feel that burden if you will that pressure its probably a better word and we think i can't do this i don't have the time to show love i don't have the the money to show love i don't have the the, the patience to show love i don't have the personality to show this love This is, may I say, in this moment, this is the view that we often have. It's the view of fallen man. It's the I-me view. I look at me and I think of me. But we need to look through the lens of Jesus. We need to look at the lens of Jesus. I want to conclude by showing you something very important. And then we'll be done. At the end of chapter 4, John says, In this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Listen very carefully. Say, so why do we need to take 10,000 looks at Jesus? Why? Because Jesus, this is where Christianity is unlike any other system. Jesus commands and then fulfills the command for those who receive the command. Does that make sense? Jesus commanded something, and then Jesus said, I know you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. I know you can't do it. I'm going to do it for you. So in the end of 1 John 4, we find this idea of love God will love his brother also. Do you know what happens in the life of Jesus? The perfect life of Jesus is Jesus loves the Father perfectly. Do you know what happens simultaneously in Jesus' perfect love to the Father? He loves his brothers so much that he dies for them. So what happens when I take 10,000 looks at Jesus? Number one, I have to take my eyes off myself. I take my eyes off myself, and I look at Jesus and say, he loved the Father, and he loved his brothers. And through his strength and grace in my life, I too can love the Father and love my brothers and sisters. The problem is too many looks at us and not enough looks at Jesus. A passage like this is overwhelming. And I'm thankful. Aren't you thankful that the Bible is that book? It should, it should, we, you should walk out going, holy smokes. You should also walk out going, it's not me anyway. It's not me doing this. It's all Jesus. Let us... Let us, by by Jesus' work in us, love one another. Love the Father. Let's let the Father's love perfect us. Let's put aside the excuses. Let's see the idols slain and crucified and put aside so that we can live in what it means to truly love one another. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.